0: ¡Gracias! Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak. I'm your host, Elena Fox-Starks. Hey guys, I hope you're doing well wherever you are in the world and whenever in time you are when you're listening to this recording. I um, think I hopped timelines a couple times in the past week and it's just been real strange, but... Whatever happened to me last night, it was weird. I was fine recording the show. I finished the first half. And within a couple minutes, all of a sudden I was sick out of nowhere. I don't know if I hopped a timeline to a timeline in which I was sick. But I had no fever. So it was very, very weird. Like, my throat was so, it was like, um... I don't know, like a sore throat, but like scratchy. And I wasn't coughing, but I ate a a spoonful of coconut oil, which I try to do every day because the medium chain triglycerides are really good for you. And I I ate that, and all of a sudden it felt like it got caught in my throat and it felt like I had suddenly out of nowhere acid reflux, which I did not have. So, of course, I immediately drank apple cider vinegar in some water and usually that takes care of everything so it was still there later and yeah right after anyway all all night i was just like for like 2 or 3 hours i was like i was like eh, eh, <clears> like you know making these sounds like like what the hell's wrong with my my throat and i thought well if i'm getting sick i would have a fever but i didn't everything was normal but i felt really sick out of nowhere like I was fine I ate the coconut oil and then all of a sudden I don't know where I'm sick out of the blue so weird and so I've been lethargic and tired all day I've been in bed most of the day I watched the last couple episodes of Outlander so now I'm all caught up through the third season and there's no other seasons in Ecuador available on Netflix and I don't know why I'm hoping they do something about that soon. But I'm just, uh, I don't know. I I, I sat down around 10 o'clock at night to start the show, going to start recording tonight, and I was really tired, but I felt like I'm going to push through, power through, and all of a sudden I fell asleep, and it's now like 20 minutes to 2 a.m. So, again, we're getting it out. Too late. It's due in twenty minutes, but it is what it is. I don't take a day off. Um, my goal is to do this for one full year without a day off, and so I've I've almost made it. You know, I only have a few months left, and I don't mind at all. I enjoy doing the show. I kind of wish I would have taken weekends off in the beginning, just to be honest. But I might not. I might try to find like a guest host for. Um Two days a week, so if you have any interest in in doing this for next year, I would maybe consider it if you guys uh if any one of you has an inkling to do what I do or whatever i think I think it could be good anyway um yeah, so it's just been weird I mean today it's been raining super hard here. It'd be really, really heavy duty rain, and then just the rain. In between the rain, it's not um, drying up. It's just the roads are staying wet. It's just been a dreary, dreary day. There was a man who has a, a channel. He's been traveling through uh, South America. His channel is Sophia or Bust. And he's from Ireland. And he got to Cuenca and he's like, I don't know what's up with this weather. It's like, I thought I left Ireland behind me, but. Here we are again. It's like Irish weather. <laughs> and, I, you know, from what I've seen in movies and TV shows about Ireland, it, it, it's the same. <laughs> it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, but only six months of the year. And, and when it's not rainy during these six months, it's warm out. We've had hot days where it's almost seventy-two. <laughs> I know if you're in Los Angeles, you're like hot. What? That's like our night. <laughs> it's like it gets to 112 in LA sometimes, maybe usually around 106 at the hottest of the days. But yeah, it doesn't get I don't think I've ever seen it maybe it was 80 degrees here for about two or three days about a year and a half ago here, something like that. It's it's hardly, it's never in the 80s. It's never, ever, ever, ever above 85, ever. In fact, 85, I think, is too much. And if it is ever that hot here, it's that's the uh, record. I mean, other parts of, of the country, there's some really hot cities, like on the coast, oh my God, in Guayaquil. It gets really hot. But then there's other cities... On the coast where it's still like the hottest day is 75 degrees right on the beach. It's weird. You'd think that, you know, South America has a reputation for being extremely hot and tropical. And you'd think it's like all jungle and everywhere you look cartel. And it's not how it is. You know, most places, just normal, respectable towns. Especially in Ecuador, it's just normal respectable people everything is cool you know you see the occasional sketch person but usually it's pretty cool I mean I like it here I do in spite of the 12 days of darkness we've had during this month already it's funny that happened in October and it's happening now now that we're done with our troubles it's going around the world it's like catching I won't say like riot fire but it, okay I, I just said it but but yeah it's just in Spain and Barcelona I've got a friend over there I think he might be in Madrid but I need to write him and ask him if he's doing alright but um, disclosurenews.it they're having like most of their days has been blacked out like the equipment isn't working or something And they said, oh, goodness. All right. They said in the 830 in the morning report, from 6 UTC time, the data are available again. And like every self-respecting 17 in this last period, even today we have our peak with a power at 53 hertz frequency at 720 UTC. We hope that the problem has been solved and we can return to a normal flow of data. And then at 8.30, probably it's the later report, but they said again (laughs) at 8.30, so sometimes they'd forget to update the time. It says, in the part of the graph available for today, we note three peaks, one of power, See, now they're not saying hertz frequency. They're just calling, they were calling it CC, consciousness credits or something. I don't remember now. Now they're calling it power. So did I hop a timeline? It's so weird. So one at power, 53, reported previously, the second of power, 57, and the last minor at 25. They don't call that one power? (sighs) Um, it is hertz frequency it does say the you know Schumann Resin's base frequency is 7.83 hertz so 53 you know 57 it's in 59 earlier so so it's heating up in the Italian region at least I'm assuming that's Italy it says IT alright so for the HeartMouth Institute what do we have here um looking that up. <laughs> uh they started off in California at 151 hertz frequency. <laughs> and by the way, they are calling it Hertz. They're not calling anything else, at least on heartmath.org. They're being consistent. Um at 4 a.m. they were at 159, so they went only up by well, eight. They went from 151 to 159. In uh, Saudi Arabia, in the town of Hofuf, they started at 99 at midnight, and four hours later, they went down to 96 hertz frequency. In um, Lithuania, they started off at 160 hertz frequency at midnight and only went down to 159 at 4 a.m. And at... Midnight in Alberta, Canada, they started off at 204. That is the highest uh, amount we've seen or will see for today. They went up to 209 by 4 a.m. I kind of expect that to keep climbing for some reason. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Now, at midnight in Northland, New Zealand, they started off at 89 hertz frequency at... Yeah, midnight, obviously I just said that. And they went to 95 by 4 a.m. And oh god. It's like why am I not oh Hulului. See, I have I have these memorized and and um the I have to like scroll down the page and then I'll lose uh, this is a really hard website to deal with anyway. Sorry about that. I'm like, where the hell is that again? The purple one is oh yeah, Hulului. South Africa at midnight, they start off at 179 hertz frequency and went to 168 by 4 a.m. So there's that. I did have a correction. It is not Elaine Page, who probably most obviously went back to England when she retired from cats, right? But um, I didn't realize she was from London. I did more research into her yesterday. And um, the person who lives here in Cuenca who is retired from having done Cats and singing on Broadway for 30 years. She, her name is Cindy Benson. One of my listeners, Rainey, met her when she was here. And Rainey is Jordan's sister. Their whole family is like my, <laughs> my family from <laughs> other parents You know, he's my brother from another mother, and Rainy is my sister from another mister. (laughs) And so we're, you know, we're always talking. Like, I came here to, came here and asked my friend Jordan, hey, have you ever heard of, I'm going to Ecuador. Are you in Ecuador now? Have you ever heard of a town called Cuenca? He's like, yeah, I live here. My sisters live here, so I'm here. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. And so my first social act here was to see his sister uh, Roxy's art. She had an art show. Um, I got here like on a Tuesday or something, and and she had her art show like on Thursdays. Like two days later, it was like <laughs> actually I think I got here a couple days before that, but I was here a total of like two days when I found an apartment, and and on the third day I had a place to uh, like I had a social event to go to. It was really crazy. And on that very first social event is when I met the um, one of the founders of the Violent Femmes. A lot of extremely talent, talented people come here and settle down. And a lot of billionaires come and get like a second or third or 20th residence here. Um, this town is actually very popular. It's It's crazy popular, even though most people have never heard of it. So... Anyway, so Cindy Benson is the one. I guess Roxy and Rainy had met her um, when Roxy or when Rainy was down here. Rainy doesn't live here; she's in the states. But it's kind of weird. I feel like um, it's actually possible that I met her and didn't even know that I met her before, or didn't know who she was or what she had done. But most of the people I meet down here, it's like, oh, I worked at the Democratic National Committee for, you know, 25 years and retired from that. Like, you know, I worked with the Clintons. I worked with this. I worked with that. I mean, people like that. It's like crazy. Oh, I played, you know, like trumpet with the Chicago. The band Chicago was another person I met. Um, He's a total narcissist, though. Not a cool person at all. I don't think he thinks he's cool. <laughs> Narcissists always do. But um, like he was like treating me like he was trying to control what I eat in this restaurant. It was like so insane. It's like, I, this is a public restaurant, is it not? I guess he had a steak in the restaurant, but I'm like trying to order like a food. And like, you know, I wanted, you know, a whole meal and he kept like blocking me. He's like, no, no, you're just going to get appetizer. I'm like, why would I get an appetizer for dinner? Like, you know, I don't they serve dinner here? Is that not a restaurant I'm looking right at? And he kept controlling it, telling the waiters not to listen to me. And when I tried to speak to them in um, Spanish, like any of the staff, he was, like, talking over me and then trying to do worse Spanish than mine. It was, like, ridiculous. I was like, dude, I never went back to that place. I'm like, God. <laughs> so crazy like why are you trying to control me and his poor wife she was having Alzheimer's and I tried to explain to her what would help her with it and she wouldn't listen to me or she's trying to listen to me but he kept blocking it and you know but other than that I've had I've had pretty good overall pretty good um, interactions with the people here you know the the famous people (laughs) He was—he wasn't even famous. He was only with them for a couple months, I think, and then he used that as his thing for. That's what I'm—that's where I'm coming from. So I could do this. He's trying to manage my friend's career. My friend's like, I'm retired. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's just like, what? Like, he already had a house—a house here. He has an income. He could stay here forever. And yeah, he makes just a little bit of money here and there doing shows just for fun, you know just because he's bored and he misses the days when he was in the Violent Femmes, I think. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, come on, like, whatever. <laughs> but it's cool when people like uh, Cindy Benson are on stage and they're giving this dynamic performance like she did. And I'm going to put another clip of her singing the end of Aquarius song. I mean, it's like a full minute of her singing Let the Sun Shine In. The song itself is always super long, but then she made it a medley, so it's like a I don't know, 10 to 20 minute song. I have no conception of time. Anyway, I was thinking about it today. Like, why am I so, like, sick slash not sick today? Like, I know I'm sick. Like, I'm not functioning even at the minimal of optimal. And I don't understand what's going on, really. But I just feel like if I sleep... I'll be fine. And every time I take a nap, I wake up a lot better and stronger, but I'm wondering if it wasn't that. I mean, when I was there, I was like connecting to everybody in that place and trying to lift them up, like raise their vibration, like connecting to all my chakras and just, you know, like imagining like this big bubble is going through everybody like a shockwave, but of, peace and beauty and love and raising everyone's vibration so everyone's happy and healthy and I don't I mean I don't know if it's that or if it's my empathicness that just I took in everybody's stuff somehow and I did I was aware of that last night and I let go of it all immediately like no if people can't handle their stuff God go ahead and cleanse it otherwise I'm giving it back to them and so I think it might have been my empathicness that took on everybody's junk in that hall was sat there for two hours with these people. And so I just, but I spent most of the time just feeling actively feeling love for everyone in the room, even though I didn't know them. And it was pretty cool. Actually, you know, I felt a lot of love, but I felt weak afterwards and I came home and then that, that weird sickness feeling came over me like what the hell. And there's another thing. Actually, I, I meant to talk about this a couple days ago. There when I moved to Minnesota when I was a kid I I um I was twelve years old and and, you know the first year was weird. There was like this snow came and it was just a shock to my system. And it was I mean I grew up in LA, you know, it was like absolute shock to my system and the following year there was this feeling I got in the pit of my stomach. And it was almost like something was being activated. And my stepmom had told me something about how you can feel it internally. And it's like your internal clock knows when the snow is coming. And you get into like a she didn't say this, but this, this is my words. It's almost like a hibernation mode, you know? And I got into that a couple days ago where I just felt like the coldness is coming. And, and I feel, and I'm like, well, I'm not even in Minnesota. I'm not even in the Midwest anymore. I'm not, <clears throat> I feel like I shouldn't even be feeling this, but I just feel this internal, like it's time to bunker down, hunker down, you know, get extra blankets out. Um, I was wearing like a short little nightgown with short sleeves to bed every day. And last night I was like, no, I got to wear my winter pajamas, like long sleeves, you you know, in long um, like pajama bottoms that are, you know, go down to my ankles. Like, and normally when I wear that, I feel so hot that, you know, I I end up getting up in the middle of the night and changing into different pajamas, just putting on t shirt instead. And last night I was I felt cold and wintry. I there's like a energy of feeling winter is coming. And I know that's hilarious for those of you who've seen that show with the from the Starks, Winter is Coming, because that's my last name. <laughs> but I've never even seen that show. I've just seen, like, people wearing T-shirts that say, like, Starks, Winter is Coming, and it's, like, hilarious. I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? Is that, like, a warning to me? Are these people against my family? Like, what the hell? It was my husband's name. He was the Starks. I, what, I'm i not. I just married into that that name, but... And my kids have that last name. So when we divorced, I I kept my name so that my kids and I would have consistency among us. I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's cool to, um, especially when your kids are little, it's like confusing, you know, to have a different name than your children. So I just kept his name um, for that reason. And, you know, when I get married again in the future, hopefully that will happen someday. I will, um, I'll definitely change my name. I don't have a problem with that at all. I'll keep Fox always because that's to honor my grandfather who was a good man and didn't have any boys and therefore no one to carry on his part of the family line. So I took it on. But, yeah, this wintry feeling, I don't know how to explain it. It's like... (sighs) Kind of at the, at the navel section right between the navel and the and and um you know that chakra and the like the solar plexus just right below the solar plexus this energy and it's almost like a humming or a buzzing and it feels like a little tiny i mean if I had to describe it, it it's like a it's like a um cartoon line drawing black tornado. <laughs> it sounds weird. It's like something that you would follow Pigpen around on in the Charlie Brown comic books, not on, well, maybe even in the, in the actual drawn show, but it just, there's, it just seems like that. Like, it's like, um, when I try to visualize it, it's white and it has, and it's like drawn in black, like a little tornado inside me. And that's that energy. And it kind of goes, you know, and it kind of like vibrates inside my stomach and it's been that way since I was about 14 years old maybe 13 years old so yeah the first two years it didn't really happen when I was in the Minnesota you know way when it was the snow and it was just shocking as hell it was like this place is like literally a frozen hell why do people live here it's absolutely phenomenally hellish like it's so cold people die in their cars in the winter if their cars break down in the, in the side of the road like that's a very real thing that happens and I mean I grew up in California I'm like why would anyone want to live in a place where you can absolutely die due to weather and then in the summer it's so freaking hot you can die of heat stroke if you don't stay hydrated and also the tornadoes, cause it's in tornado alley and there's so many tornadoes and it's like such a miserable place to live, you know, like most of the year now in the springtime, it's absolutely lovely. And in the fall, right before I get that feeling in my stomach, it's absolutely lovely. But usually they, they were at least when I was a kid, every year on Halloween without fricking fail. That's when the first snow comes, which always really cut into our trick or treating time and really pissed off. My brother and I It was really irritating. So here it is in October and I feel snow coming. I feel it in my gut. The snow is coming and it's weird because I'm in South America. We're not getting snow. We don't get snow here. Now, it, higher up in the mountains, about 45 minutes from here, they sometimes get hail, sometimes a light dusting of snow. They never get more than just a dust. And then it's over like a week later. You know, it doesn't get that cold to snow and snow and snow and stay s- snowed you know, here. You know, like in Bolivia, which is south of uh, Peru, they get snow, chilly. Argentina for sure they all get snow you know that's closer to the, the pole I'm in the middle of the globe we don't get snow here not like but it's, I'm, I'm getting that feeling in my gut that snow is coming and I'm getting like scared I feel like I need to like and a part of me is like oh we need to gather wood for the winter well why? A this is as bad as it gets it's never going to get colder than today 49 degrees at night it doesn't get colder than that and that's cold for here usually it's you know 51 or something 52 and we don't we don't even have a fireplace why do I need wood but I have this like internal my internal clock is like winter's coming we need to make sure we gather wood the snow's gonna be here soon we have to have two weeks supply of food like I've been going through all this stuff and then it's like what the hell am I thinking it's like it's almost like a PTSD re- related to weather. <laughs> I mean, that's like the only way I can describe it that makes sense, but it's like this weird internal winter's coming clock. I don't do you guys get that? Any one of you who live when where snow is? I know rainy you're listening, you're going to tell me if you get that or not because it's just weird. I don't it, it's just like you feel it. It's like a sixth sense, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Maybe I need a new coat, you know, warmer socks. Time to buy my snow boots, you know. It's like you start thinking about the things that you need. Remember moon boots? My God, I used to have the best moon boots ever. I had a I had a onesie suit that I would tuck into my moon boots, and I would zip it all the way up. And then I'd have a scarf, and then I had... um my mittens and sometimes I would put um, I'd have gloves and put mittens over the gloves and my hands would still be cold by the time I got home and I'd wear a couple hats. Not just one but a couple and and a big scarf. I mean seriously in Minnesota in home ec class I don't even know if they have home ec anymore, but you know, when I was in junior high I, I made a scarf. I hadn't learned how to knit and crochet. And we had to make ourselves scarves for the winter. That's <laughs> like a regular activity because it's definitely you're definitely going to be freaking cold. I mean, your eyelashes freeze. It, it's it is like something. It gives you like a PTSD of sorts. I mean, your your contact lenses freeze to your eyes, and then your eyelid will freeze to your contacts, and your eyes just stay frozen and open, and you can't blink. If you stand outside for more than like 10, 15 minutes when it's 40 below, you know, so I have like that sort of like fear of weather, like, but it's like internal It's and it's like a, a fear that like, it's an internal clock inside my body. That fear kicks up at this time of year, every year, like, Oh, Ooh, we got to get, make sure we got heaters and clothes and blankets and you know hot soup and I want to go out and buy a crock pot now now that I know I'm going to be here another you know two years I think if I buy a crock pot then I can make my spaghetti sauce and my kid can have spaghetti and I'll eat it on squash or something and and, I'm, and I'll make my good Irish stew that I learned how to make a few years ago with beer not water <laughs> I guess that's what makes it Irish right putting a little bit of the whiskey. Sometimes I do it with water and add a little shot of whiskey. (laughs) Whiskey stew, man. It's so good. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I've been really thinking about that lately though. Like, yeah, I'm thinking we should probably get a crock pot so we can eat, um, cook stuff all day long. It's kind of like heats the house. I need to go gather more candles I went downtown yesterday to this this uh, really severely awkward concert, except for the beginning and end performers that are like professionals, you know. But I went down, and it was so cold, and I was just like, oh, I was feeling that wintry feeling inside me the whole evening. And um, when we got into the hall, and into the church. I was okay, but... Um, yeah it was just weird they're walking around and it wasn't terribly cold but I was still getting that winter's coming feeling so bizarre I don't know do you guys get that and then like you know when the fall's coming it's an excitable like yeah back to school energy we don't even have leaves that change colors here we don't even have that but I had that energy too during the fall and I'm a weather witch and my body just tells me what's happening but it's like my body tells me it's happening in the northern hemisphere is what it is. It's so strange. It's like I've been trying to get away from this weird wintry feeling for years. In uh, Lima, it is so freaking cold, though. I swear to God, it's so cold. It's People get sick there very easily because even though it's right on the ocean, you'd think it'd be hot, but it's so far south that... But I don't even know because I think in other places in Peru it's not even that cold. But Lima, for some reason, is very cold. It's dangerous. My boyfriend is always like, "You have to keep your feet covered and your back covered. Never walk around barefoot." I'm like, "Oh, I've been walking around barefoot my whole life." He's like, "I don't care." To like, when you're in Peru, you don't. When you're in South America, don't. It's dangerous. <laughs> and I saw it on one day at a time. The mother was, or one, yeah, the mother was talking about that. No, you gotta keep your feet covered. It'll kill you if you don't keep your feet covered. <laughs> you know. And someone's like, no, it's just a Lat- Latino superstition. And she's like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> Anyone who walked around barefoot, and the family died within the year. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's a Latina superstition, but I know I know that when I did walk around barefoot in Lima, I ended up getting really sick. And when I wore my flip flops, mostly with socks because it was cold in the winter. But I even got that that winter is coming energy of the snows on its way back then too, three years ago even. And in Bogota, it just felt like that all the time. It was so cold there. Oh my God! It's ten thousand feet above sea level. Super hard to breathe and very, um, everyone tells you, be careful, keep your back covered. When you're out, keep your face covered. You could get a cold here and die of it. And the first person told me that, I'm like, oh, please, I'm 51. You know, back then I'm like in my forties, I managed to live this long. You know, I'm in my late forties. I'm good. And I ended up having to take antibiotics and I ended up getting really sick. I was in bed for six weeks. My kids were in bed for like a month. We all got very, very sick there. It's weird. It's like the first time someone told me that, like, oh, yeah, whatever. You leave me love Dad, right? But then I realized, actually, the cold's there. There's so many people, and they mutate so rapidly that you could get the same cold that you had a month before, and it's completely new, and your body might not be able to fend it off. Like, it's just so, like, just the normal stuff like that is so. And, and no one has heat. Some people have heat. And I had a, a favorite restaurant there with heat. I had a, a nice bottle of or a big glass of wine that was so huge. It was like, I mean, it was like half a bottle of wine fit in this massive wine glass. And for two dollars and ninety-five cents, I'd go get this massive thing of wine. And um, my kids would get like hot chocolate or hot tea and. And we was set, sat in this place. Every time they were open and we could go, we went. Um, they had this fireplace, and the place is like 200 years old or 150 years old, and all filled with antiques. And the seating areas are enormous overstuffed couches. And the lighting is like like Christmas lights, and it's just so romantic and pleasant. And it feels like you're, you're, you eccentric old auntie's house. And we would just sit there and we'd like, I'd, I'd be like, okay, when the waitress isn't looking, you're going to share the wine with me, you know? And so they'd have a couple sips of wine and we're like, that's going to relax us. So when we get back to the hostel where it's cold, we're going to bundle up. They gave us extra blankets there and we would just bundle up and barricade our room. And, um, you know, so air couldn't come in and it was cold there, really cold. Not as cold as Puno, like on Lake Titicaca, that was also like 10,000 feet or more above sea level. And you walk one or two steps and you have to catch your breath for five minutes. Then you walk two or three steps and catch your breath again. It was impossible to breathe there and extremely cold. And it does snow there, and that was insane. But we stayed on an island in the middle of the lake halfway to Bolivia. And Bolivia was snow, snow-covered, snow-capped mountains. And the feeling I got when I was there is a feeling I'm having now, like snow's coming. I will freak out if snow actually comes to Cuenca. <laughs> it would be so weird if it actually did. Anyway, in A Course in Miracles, we are on Lesson 129. Beyond this world, there is a world... I want beyond this world. There's a world I want. This is a thought that follows from the one we practiced yesterday. You cannot stop with the idea that the world is worthless for, unless you see that there is something else to hope for, you will only be depressed. Our emphasis is not on giving up the world, but on exchanging it for what is far more satisfying filled with joy and capable of offering you peace. Think you. This world can offer that to you. Of course, right now. The rest of the lesson is kind of long. That's one. There's like nine paragraphs. It's it's not terrible. If you want to read it, it's easy. ACIM.org or just go ahead and download the app. It's easy and free, always free. The world I see holds nothing that I want. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. So that's it. Beyond this world, there is a world I want. And that is your lesson for today. It has a high vibration to it. I think I did do the, the world I see holds nothing I want was yesterday's. I was really out of it yesterday. And when I did the first part, I wasn't as out of it as the second part. It's just it was like an instant, like, oh my God. And today I only ate a papaya, an enormous papaya. It was like maybe 18 inches across. I ate the whole thing by myself because my son wasn't home. And the thing is with papaya, if you ever... Get a papaya and eat eat it. This is a secret to papaya. Number one is it's best when it's cold. um a warm papaya doesn't taste very good and when it's cold, and if it's too green, it's not gonna be it's like really bad for you if you eat a papaya while it's green. You have to wait till it turns yellow, but um if you cut it open and you leave it sit out for like a half hour, it suddenly starts to smell like vomit. (laughs) But when you first freshly cut it open and eat it, it's actually a perfectly lovely fruit. But the flavor changes if it's not ripe yet or if it's too ripe. So if it's right in the middle in that sweet spot, that's the best papaya ever. But um, it's filled with uh, antioxidants <clears throat> lycopene like tomatoes it has more lycopene I think than tomatoes it has three times the daily allowance of um, in a, one papaya serving so I had like I don't know four papaya servings today all at once I ate the whole thing I can't believe it that's all I had all day I had a guarana which is like a Red Bull but um, with it's like a local one. it has less sugar than Red Bull and more guarana juice so a lot of caffeine So instead of coffee, because I don't want to have milk today, because I was feeling under the weather. So I did that. And a papaya is all I had today. I'm starting to feel better, though. It was loaded with vitamin C, antioxidants, has the full spectrum vitamin C, not just the ascorbic acid part. And, um... It's really, papaya is really good. It's weird. It's one of those really bizarre fruits, though. It's like you either love it or you just don't. And for years, I didn't love it until I learned how to eat it, you know, cold and when it's not too ripe and not, you know, unripe. And the people in Bogota actually taught me to love it because they were selling fruit in, um, in the town square in Simón Bolívar Park. And you just go there, and um, every day for $1, they give you this massively big um, thing filled with cut-up fruit, papaya, pineapple, watermelon. And I would get um, six of them, two for each of us, my kids and I, every day. And that's how we started our day. Every day we'd go and get our fruit, We would eat our fruit. We would go to the coffee place and sit down at the coffee house and have our cup of coffee and just, we all got our phones out and did our electronic thing for the day, played our games, you know, for about half hour. And then we'd talk for about an hour. And that was it. And we just walked around Bogota and looked at different things, mostly the street art. I miss Bogota. It was a cool place, but so cold. I don't miss the cold or the inability to breathe you know and that's been an issue for me today cuz i've been feeling sick and under the weather but <clears throat> a little bit with the asthma not so much i'm a little congested which is weird i don't know why oh cuz i ate like one bite oh yeah i had a cake yesterday so the wheat now i'm congested again it's weird i haven't been congested like this in a while and i do know better but oh well <laughs> anyway uh when i come back after the next couple breaks and I'm I'm gonna there's gonna be like a couple commercials but I'm gonna give um, maybe a couple more examples from yesterday some of the less awkward moments of the evening uh, Cindy Benson I'm gonna at least play a clip from her and um, yeah when I come back I'm gonna talk about people who live under ground and it's not exactly what you think. Right after this, Metaphysical Soul Speak is run on sponsors and listener support. This means listeners like you. If you are so inclined to support my efforts and my little podcast, please visit me at anchor.fm forward slash metaphysical and pledge an amount of your choosing today. Thank you. Journey to The Center of the Earth was written first in French by Jules Verne in 1864. It wasn't published in English until 1871. Now, you would think that this was a remarkable work of fiction. You would think that Jules Verne is just, he's absolutely brilliant in his mind. Like, wow, that he came up with such an imaginative story. Voyage au centre de la terre. (laughs) The original title is. There's been series based on this, the Extraordinary Voyages, This story has been adapted to film, television, radio, even theme parks and rides. In many other ways, it's been adapted. Jules Verne is one of my favorite authors. His stuff is so strange. Like, you know, he talks about time machines and going to the center of the earth and going into outer space and going into the oceans and all kinds of stuff he talked about. I mentioned, but in journey to the center of the earth, the idea was going down volcanic tubes when a volcano isn't being particularly active just to see what's inside the center of the earth, right? Pretty easy idea but <clears throat> there was an actual genre called subterranean fiction that existed long before he came along as an author. Of course, his book was so good and so popular, it added to the genre's popularity according to wikipedia.org and influenced a lot of people's writings, even, including Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote a series called Pellucidar. Which I have not heard about until I did my research on this tonight. So, you know, during the center of the earth, oh, there's so many versions. Some of them are in black and white, and there, uh, there's one that's in talkies, where I mean, not e- but, I mean, before talkies, like where they're not even talking. There, it's just in, um, you know, like you'll show what they're doing, and then the screen will come up where you have to read. <laughs> what they're saying, and I think it was made in the 1920s. Oh um, that that's a really good episode. That's a really good one. I've seen maybe, I don't know, five or six versions of this movie made. It's been something that has fascinated me my whole life ever since I was a little kid. And I start thinking about people who live under the surface of the earth, people that live or beings that live underground so that's what we're going to talk about today <laughs> you know the fictional side of it is Jules Verne's book along with all the other subterranean fiction <laughs> um, it's pretty interesting right In- interesting But we're going to go to some modern day cases in which people do live under the earth. And we know that they're there. We know that there's normal people who fell on hard times. A lot of times they're uh, poor, they're homeless. And like in the case of Bogota, they have to live in the sewers because... Homeless people are not allowed in most of South America. I found out here they don't do this, but they do what they call social cleansing where they catch homeless people on fire while they sleep and kill them. And they've even lit the sewers in Bogota on fire. There's actual death squads that go around. And I found an article on listverse.com where they're saying that they think that rich people are funding it. I don't know if that's true, They say that there's rumors that police are involved. Well, I know for a fact that the death squads are the police. It's a specific division of the police. And it's not just in Bogota. It's throughout Colombia. My friend who lived in Medellin wanted to be a police officer. And while he was doing his training, um, he finished all of the training except for he didn't know what division you know, was he going to work? You know, vice or homicide? You know, what what division did he find the most interesting? So he had to go around with police from different divisions to see what interested him the most and what did he want to work on the most. And they said, um, "Do you want to go on the on the death squad?" You know, you want Let's roll with it. You know, you're going to roll with the death squad and see what that's about. He's like, "What's that?" And they're like, "Well, you'll see." And they wouldn't tell him. And he went with them and saw them catch homeless people on fire and that was the day he quit the force, decided he didn't want to be any part of any organization that just out and out goes and murders people based on the fact that they don't have money. Scared the hell out of him. You know, so that is something that does happen. It's real. If you ever hear of it, it, it's real. Um, I saw it happen in um, Arequipa, Peru. It happens in many parts. That's why, you know, you, it's shocking for people from South America in, in these countries, they don't see homeless people. And then they go to our country, and, and I mean to the U.S., I'm sorry, our country. A lot of you are listening to me from Sweden. By the way, I'm back on the charts in Sweden, so hey, guys. Um, so, yeah, but in the U.S., there's a lot of homeless people because they don't kill homeless people, you know. And thank God they don't because... Obviously, it goes against the the Ten Commandments, so I don't understand why it happens here, but it does in South America. And even in the sewers, they they catch the sewers on fire sometimes. But this happens, let me see, I found it. this article, and, okay, so in basically Bogota, in Bucharest, in Manhattan, New York, Las Vegas, Moscow, um, and in Syria and in other parts of Russia also uh, are are where people live underground and it's well known that they live underground I mean it was discovered you know like the mole people they call themselves the mole people in Las Vegas and when the rains come there's like flash floods and they can drown they, they can get inundated But, um, in fact, these huge underground sewers were built so that it would capture the rain and not flood Las Vegas, you know, thereby cutting into the tourist industry there, you know, but it's a desert. So when they do get a lot of rain, it's a lot, a lot, and it's dangerous. So I've seen, I was there when it was flooding and it was, there was a story of a little boy who had gotten caught up in the rain. He was little and he fell off the curb. And it was like a rushing river with the rainwater. And he actually fell into a storm drain and they never found him. Or maybe they did find him. But I think he died. It was like really a big deal when I was there. It was like a big story. And so later I found out about the mole people living there. Um, my oldest kid told me about it. He's like looking into it. He's like, you know, that was scary. Like that that happened. Why didn't they have grates? over all of the storm drains. Like that was nuts, right? That just little kid could randomly fall. It was is creepy. But then we found out that there are more mole people living underground and then we found out um in other cities they are. So in Syria they they um have basements and they live underground during the bombings, which makes sense. It's smart, right? Now when um when I lived in Minnesota, we all had underground spaces. Everyone has a basement in the Midwest, especially when you're in Tornado Alley. In the event a tornado takes your house, you're gonna be okay because you're gonna be in the basement, you know, hope, you know, probably holding on to something so you're not swept up in the tornado. So this kind of thing, you know, like basements are pretty common in certain parts of the world, so in some ways there already are people living underground, especially when they go down to the basement to sleep or, you know, hang out or whatever. When you look at um, TV shows like that 70s show, they have a walkout basement. You know, they, they can just walk out through a door and then up the stairs to get out of their basement. Most people have the stairs inside their house, not, in you know, in, in that show, they had two exits. Most basements only have one entrance and one exit. And in addition to that a lot of people way 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 back in the day had uh bomb shelters so that was a whole nother thing and the bomb shelters were built either side by side with the basement or in another part of the land sometimes and then there's also root cellars where before people had re- refrigeration so um people have been having it's 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 not uncommon to have stuff that's underground, right, is my point. And let's see here. In um, China, people have bomb shelters in um, the city. Uh, it says the air raid shelters were dug during the Sino-Soviet border war of 1969 on the orders of Char- Chairman Mao Zedong. And after his death, the new government ordered that the shelters be commercialized. And then people started to rent them out. But it's it's cheaper, apparently, to have an underground apartment than an above-ground apartment. And underground rooms go for half the price of, a, of an above-ground apartment. And that's something that's going on in China right now, even though the government has outlawed it and they've said people can't live in the basement, Right and but people it still goes on they're either thumbing their nose at the government or they just need the money and so a lot of times um, the uh, living conditions are not very good and the people who live underground they're called the rat tribe even though it's not really an official tribe or in one little village it's throughout you know different parts of China so if you live underground there's something wrong with you and you're called part of the rat tribe and a lot of times they are afraid to admit to their families that that's their living condition but they're doing it to save money and um, some of the homeowners are very weird like they won't allow the people to come out of the basement you know shelter to like lay in the yard to tan in the sun (laughs) they're not allowed to air out their bedding outside of the house so the the damp conditions can you know maybe it's probably moldy in the basement right I know Minnesota it was it was so humid there but um yeah so the air raid shelters the bomb shelters air raid shelters wherever you want to call it I mean we had ours we had we had our bomb shelter we didn't have any furniture in it but we had a freezer that had oh gosh um, I don't know, we had a side of beef in there. We had like a fourth of, of a deer when our neighbors uh, bagged a deer. They call it bag a deer, and we um, we paid for a fourth of it. They sold some of the meat, and we made venison sausage with it. But um, or they made the venison sausage and gave it to us, and then we just cooked it. We didn't actually make the sausage itself. So anyway, but the point is that there's a lot of different ways in which people live underground. Some people have decided to start living underground because the temperature is consistent. Some people, um, architects have started to build houses underground in which they have a series of mirrors and um, windows or skylights that will light up the whole place so it looks normal like you don't feel like you're underground and they have good ventilation systems and if you're living underground you'll get the geothermal heat from the lava that flows beneath your house and you'll also get you know, um, you'll not get the cold winds going through the windows so in some ways it makes sense, right? but I don't know about you guys but for me it, this thing is so freaky that I wanted to cover this today so Now, there's other underground things that for years uh, people were concerned, weirded out, I suppose, about the giant tunnels in South America. They were thinking that they were um, carved out by people, but why? They were really freaked out by it. Well, I went to earthtouchnews.com and they said that they are, there are hundreds of them in Brazil and Argentina in certain regions, and they're strange, smooth walled tunnels that cut right through the earth. And they thought at first they were just like caves, and then they realized they kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And then they said, Wait a minute, because caves are formed by water that dissolves rock, but they discovered that they were enormous that burrowed from prehistoric times. The animals were bigger, right? So now they discovered that a lot of these giant tunnels are prehistoric prehistoric burrows from giant moles (laughs) from the literal mole people. (laughs) Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm looking at these pictures on this. You could go to earthtouchnews.com and look up the article. It's called, These Giant Tunnels in South America Aren't Caves; They're Prehistoric Burrows. That's literally the title of the article. So they said there's no digging animals anywhere in the world today that are large enough to have created the tunnels. Um, some of them are six feet tall. And thirteen feet across, (laughs) so they're thinking saber-toothed cats, uh, mastodons. Back in those days, the toxodon, which are like the giant rhinos, they weren't equipped for digging, but those are who were alive at that time, and so they're thinking maybe sloths or armadillos, because they did find giant armadillos down here in South America and I've seen giant armadillos well they're called giant they're not giant there but they're like the size of a very large dog I've seen armadillos here they're weird I mean not like wandering around the streets of Cuenca <laughs> but I've seen them in wildlife parks in Peru and so but they're thinking that it was probably maybe giants or ground sloths Megatherium <laughs> and Eremotherium. They could grow to be bigger than what a rhino looks like today. And they're experts at burrowing. So they think that that's what happened. They think that's where these tunnels come from. I don't think this is the whole the whole case, though. I don't think that's the whole story. Now, a friend of mine um, worked for an, a non-government... Um, an NGO what's that? a non-government organization that was working on, I'm not going to say what, but something that was, um, we'll say sought after by certain factions of the secret government. And it got very dangerous very quickly and they all left. And he told me a story about, and he was just like, like an it guy or something. But, um, He told me a story where he was offered an opportunity to go to not where I am now, but to another country here in South America. And they have an underground living facility. And they're going to go with the aliens that live underground. And then it was going to be sealed forever, the door. And he had a window of opportunity to go into this underground door and never, ever, ever come out again. It is all no things. I'll take my chances above ground. Thank you very much. I love the sun. (laughs) So that's what his choice was. But a lot of people he knows, they left and they went to this underground living place. And they went there because they knew that there were aliens there. There were um, beings that live under the ground in different parts of South America. Now... If these caves and, or well, not caves, but these tunnels, I mean, some of them are so big, you can put a semi-truck through them. So if they're so, if they're just like burrows done by animals, back in the old, old, olden days, then why did my friend tell me that there was light beings that live in the caves and they block the caves and if you go into the caves you're going to die unless you know how to speak their language and talk to them and ask their permission and ask for their protection and guidance now it's not just in Argentina and Brazil by the way either there are caves that go or tunnels that go from Ecuador to Venezuela underneath (laughs) Colombia so it goes through three whole countries and my friend told me that his grandfather was the last man alive from his tribe because they're natives they're indigenous people and he said yeah my grandfather was the last of the tribe that spoke that ancient language of the light people he could not only see them but he could speak their language And when he could speak their language, they would allow him passage in the tunnels safely. But other men say there was stories of there being treasure buried under there. There There's stories that the uh, Incan gold is buried in these tunnels. There's a lot of stories about the Incan gold. I'm telling you, people have gold fever all over the world. Again, from aliens, (laughs) the Anunnaki. Anunnaki. They made us dig gold. They, they bred us to be gold diggers. <laughs> <laughs> they bred us to dig gold for them. They needed it for something. I don't know what, to power their ships, maybe? <laughs> like dilithium crystals in the Star Trek series, where they always need to go get a new uh, source of dilithium. They find the dilithium crystals, and they can power their warp core and continue on their journey. I mean, is that the same kind of a scenario here? Where the Anunnaki? So it gets weirder, okay? Now this article I found... It gets weirder and weirder, okay? <laughs> now, when I was in Arizona, I was told about the ant people. As There's these famous cave drawings and rock drawings all over Arizona, especially in the Flagstaff area from the Hopi people and other people, but mostly the Hopi people. This one's very well known. And some of the um, drawings people have recreated on, um, they've made like pieces of pottery, like magnets, and they've recreated the cave drawings on them and they sell them in restaurants throughout Sedona. And so I bought a whole bunch from. Like, this is really, you know, these are creepy. Some of them are creepy, and some are weird. And but I still like them, right? So I bought them. And so I asked the waitress. I'm also so what? What is this anyway? What? What is this? And she told me this tale that freaking. I mean, it was a hot day, and I was curling my toes. I was like, whoa, this is so weird. It's so weird. So, I guess there were times of uh, floods. In the desert and um, people were losing like their food and their ability to live and, and they were scared and things were happening on the surface. So these ant people came from underground and apparently they looked like ants, but they were the size of humans or a little bit bigger. And they told the people that they would take care of them, and they took them underground. And when everything changed on the surface, they were allowed to come back out again, and everything was fine. Well, the ant people saved their lives. And that's why they revere them in the, in the uh, drawings on rocks and in caves and the like. And as the story it has been passed down through generations, and the, the Hopi people that are in existence right now still believe these tales, and they, they know them. They're very, very famous. When you go down in the Southwest, you start hearing this stuff, and you're like, whoa, this is like really, really trippy. Okay. So I found this article called The Ant People of the Hopi, and they put some stuff in here that I never knew until today. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know. Every now and again, I have to start researching this stuff because it freaks me out so much. <laughs> Why on earth do you want to go under the earth? I don't understand. I mean... There's uh, creepy crawlies and centipedes and earth babies, otherwise known as um, potato bugs. Oh my god, they're so gross. <laughs> I mean, they keep the web of life inside the earth clean and you know they, they help you know keep a balance. I don't mind planting a garden, but I, I don't want to live under the ground. It creeps me out. Even basements creep me out. I always think of things like caving in, you know, then there's sinkholes. And now I'm wondering if the sinkholes aren't happening around the world because of these ancient prehistoric burrowing sloths. (laughs) I mean, I'm really wondering about that now. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to read this article to you from ancient-origins.net. Myths, Legends, America's Opinion, I don't know, it has a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, the name of the article itself is called The Ant People of the Hopi. of course, they don't say Native Americans, they say Indians in the article. Ugh. I'm I'm just going to say Hopi. So, the Hopi lived in the high desert, lived, have lived, have lived on the high desert of North Arizona for thousands of years and it's a barren and beautiful landscape where the it's the place where the Hopi gods directed them to build a number of villages made up of pueblos. And so they said what we would call today stone apartment complexes. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So the Hopi were flourishing by growing uh beans, corns and squash, they had very little rainfall and no irrigation. But they, you know, that's pretty much what they ate. So, one of the most intriguing Hopi legends involves the ant people, the article continues, who are crucial to the survival of the Hopi not just once, but twice. The so-called first world or world age was apparently destroyed by fire, possibly some sort of volcanism, asteroid strike, or coronal mass ejection from the sun. The second world was destroyed by ice, ice age, glaciers, or a pole shift. During these two global cloud cataclysms, oh, see, so it wasn't just a bunch of rain. See, that's even more exciting now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It wasn't rain. It was that. Okay. So during these, the virtuous members of the Hopi tribe were guided by an odd-shaped cloud during the day and a moving star at night. That led them to the sky god named Sotunang, Sotuknang, who finally took them to the Ant people. In Hopi, it's Anu The Ant people then escorted the Hopi into subterranean caves, where they found refuge and sustenance. Now, in the legend. The ant people were portrayed as generous, industrious. They gave the Hopi food and supplies when theirs ran short. They taught them how to store food, so for the future. And another legend says that the reason why the ants have such thin waists today is because they once deprived themselves of provisions in order to feed the Hopi people. That's kind of sweet. So this is this this part of the article gets really wild the constellation orion also has a thin waist when orion dominates the winter skies the ants were deep in their small underground hills these structures are similar to the form of the hopi kivas which are subterranean communal prayer chambers coincidentally the Sanskrit word ki means anthill and va means dwelling ooh something that they don't mention is when you look at where the Hopis are and you look at where the Tibetans are and I believe the Tibetans might have had Sanskrit but India, Tibet, that area on it's on the exact opposite side of the globe and yet their language is very similar and when you look at the flag of the Tibetans and you look at the flag of the Hopi people it'll blow your mind because it's almost the same flag (laughs) it's the same colors it's almost identical same flag it's so strange so go look that up when you get a moment if you're interested in that So, so Kiva means anthill dwelling in Sanskrit that's really weird right (laughs) Um, each February inside their kivas Hopis perform the bean sprouting ceremony or the bean dance called powamu during this time fires are continuously kept ablaze and turns these structures into superb hothouses the ritual commemorates a time in which the Anu Sinom ant people taught the Hopi how to sprout beans inside caverns in order to survive It is interesting to note that the Babylonian sky God was named Anu. And the Hopi word for ant is also Anu. And the Hopi root word Naki means friends. So in Hopi, Anu Naki means ant friends. And they may have been the same as the Sumerian Anunnaki, the beings who once came to earth from the heavens. I mean, this person puts, like, these really wild things at the very last of this little article and doesn't go into a whole lot, but I had some more information, so I I filled in the blanks there, but I did not know this, that Anu means aunt in Hopi. Naki means friends, because Anunnaki is what comes from the ancient Babylonian. When you look at um, all the stories from the Anunnaki, It's not from the Hopis, but how, you know what I mean? Okay, so now this gets more and more strange. When you look at people and things living underneath the surface of the earth. So now we've gotten the burrows made by sloths, but yet they were also something else, and we don't know what. I think that the tunnels were not only made by the burrowing giant sloths of yore (laughs) but they are ceremonial tunnels and what my friend said is that his people believed that people would oftentimes travel with the help of the light beings they would travel underneath these um, tunnels from Venezuela all the way to Ecuador And sometimes they would take the tunnels that go to Brazil. There is ideas that maybe during the cataclysms, these were where the people lived. There was something else about this too. It is ceremonial and you have to have the ancient language in order to be allowed in without being killed or I don't even know what maybe there's you know fumes or gases that come up from the earth and the um, light beings know how to avoid it or they somehow can protect you but my friends tribal people say that that's where the Incans hid a lot of their gold because of the um, (laughs) because the Spaniards were coming They didn't want to lose their their gold. All right, so now we come to the mid to late 1940s, okay? You guys ever heard of the hollow earth theory? (laughs) And Admiral Byrd. So... He was a highly decorated Navy captain. He flew planes, and I believe he also captain ship, captained ships. He was a Medal of Honor recipient. Admiral Richard E. Bird, Byrd. B y r d. He wrote about his encounter with a lost civilization in Antarctica. And in the South Pole, he met an ancient race that live underground in the South Pole. Now, there's been a lot of talk about... extraterrestrials that frequently visit the South pole. And recently, I mean, in the past year or two, there's been a lot of weird things going on at the South pole. Like why would the Clintons fly there? What the hell business did would they have down there? Other people have flown to the South pole, like people that were high up in government, whether they were ex presidents or not. A lot of people have gone to the South Pole. It just seems like a whole lot of nothing. And there's there's a, a documentary movie that I watched on Netflix a couple of years ago about people that work there. And it's just a bunch of snow and a bunch of cold, and people freeze there, like frozen popsicles, <laughs> freeze it up. And yet there are people, ancient people there, Living underground. So, March 11th, 1947, Admiral, Admiral Byrd writes I've just attended a staff meeting at the Pentagon. I have stated fully my discovery and the message from the Master. He means of the ancient alien race. All is duly recorded. The president has been advised. I am now detained for several hours, six hours, 39 minutes to be exact. I'm interviewed intently by top security forces and a medical team. It was an ordeal. I am placed under strict control via the national security provisions of this United States of America. I am, and then he puts in all capital letters, order to remain silent in regard to all that I have learned on the behalf of humanity incredible I am reminded that I'm a military man and I must obey orders alright I had to pause for a moment and go look this up because uh, 1947 in June, of, uh, June 14th, 1947 That's when um, William Brazell in Roswell, New Mexico, he was working on the foster homestead. He noticed clusters of debris. And that was three weeks before July 8th when all of the Roswell stuff happened. So just a few months before he's writing to the government or about his... You know, being detained by the government officials, the president and whatnot. I mean, I don't know if it's related or not, but I think it's a different alien uh, race or ET race, or maybe they're not ETs at all. Maybe, and, and see, this is another thing, like not only under the ground, but under the ocean. And I went to a town that claims that the UFOs. Are often going in and out of the ocean because they live underground in the ocean, off the coast of Peru. I spent uh, two days and one night on the beach. There, you could just go to the camp. You just go camp on the beach. They, you know, it's like free. You just go pitch tent. Go sleep in the tent. <laughs> Which I love that about South America. You could just do that. Most places. You know, but you have to keep moving. Otherwise, you know, homeless. Home. There's incidents with when you're homeless, so um, so there's also that you know. So ET races living under the ocean, and people have seen this also in um, I want to say Bermuda near the B- Bermuda Triangle. That's a whole nother mystery. So there's also um, but so there's also these people living in in the South Pole. Now Tyler of um, Secure Team Ten. Has, done, has covered many, many stories in which people using Google Earth have uncovered pictures of trapped UFOs under the ice as the ice is melting in the South Pole. So you might want to go check that out if you want to check, you know, like look into it further. It's, it's undeniable. I mean, it's like there's two or three different kinds of ships that people have located and they've analyzed it and they've taken it to labs and they're like, Hey, look at this, you know, and found out, you know, no one's photoshopping it. It's just absolutely real. But even if it wasn't real, then why are all these government officials going to South America suddenly in the past couple years? Why the interest in all that snow? It doesn't make any sense. Now I did meet yeah, and this another thing. Nazis were really interested in South Pole too. And it says what they discovered didn't even compare to what Bird had in his diary. I agree with that. And But they started, evidently, there's a rumored German base there. So why were they even interested in this? Now, there is a... This is so weird. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at a map that Admiral Bird drew. And there is an, a land underneath the earth of advanced races. Inside the earth, there's a central trees and plants and any, just all kinds of things that are unlike anything you've ever seen. So you go watch the movie During the Center of the Earth, this might have some basis in some sort of reality, possibly. But he wrote about a place named Agartha, or Agartha. In 1947, he flew into the center of the Earth, and he met a leader of this ancient race That live underneath the surface. Now. This is so strange. This stuff. And I'm not even going to be able to cover this at all. 100%. But. If you go to medium.com. And there's other. You can just look up hollow earth theory. Or Admiral Byrd. So it sounds like this guy might have been a little crazy. Or maybe he was confused or something. But he was a highly decorated. Navy officer. Now. It says that the government knew about Agartha before Bird. Now it says, uh, let's see. um, Our emissaries have already delivered messages to the power of your world, and yet they do not heed it. They knew. They said that that we sent our flying machines. This is what he wrote in in his journal, in his diary. That this guy, the leader of these people said it's alarming we sent our flying machines, the flugel rods to your surface world to investigate what your race had done and he's talking about Hiroshima and Nagasaki he says you see we've never interfered before in your race's wars and your barbarity, but we must because you have learned to tamper with a certain power that's not for your for you you know, atomic energy our emissaries delivered messages of power of your world but they do not heed. So apparently the government already knew about Agartha before Bird did. Now, according to the master, there are tunnels that lead to Agartha. According to his journals, this master told him Tibet, Great Pyramid of Giza, and the North Pole all have tunnels leading to Agartha. (laughs) so I met Admiral Byrd's grandson or maybe it was his I think it was his grandson and when I met him he was in his 50s, late 50s I guess and we asked him he actually I saw his name I'm like bird wait a minute I know this name he goes well yeah because of my my um you know my grandfather and so he told us the stories that his grandfather told us and or told him and he told us that they are absolutely true he 100% believes and the family believes him believed him you know when he told this. that it just it sounds completely incredible but there's oceans there's a sun there's Plants and there's people living in peace in the center of the earth so Richard Byrd wrote the book Alone, the Classic Polar Adventures Discover the Story of the Second Byrd Antarctic Expedition Exploring with Byrd Episodes of an Adventurous Life and that's by Richard Evelyn Byrd Jr. Um, like his son and uh Little America Aerial Exploration in the Antarctic, the flight to, South, to the South Pole. So, all of that has been put out into the world, and now there's one other thing that's just really, really weird. Okay, when you go to spherebeingalliance.com, and a lot of you have contacted me about this, and we've talked about it. Um, oh, goodness. I'm looking at his face and I'm like, why am I not um, thinking of his name right now? Okay, so this guy has been brought. Corey Good. Yeah, all right, obviously. Um, Corey Good, G O O D E, talked about the blue avians who gave a warning with a message for humanity. And it says that they tried to deliver the message three other times that was distorted by humanity, but they had made it very clear that this information was not to become a cult, a religious movement or anything. Um, and Corey good was not to put his ego before the message. So he's just trying to get out the message of the blue avians that we need to start, you know, obviously loving each other. And we were going into the Ascension and, and he has talked about the blue avians, the orb beings, and the golden triangle-headed beings. But the blue avians live inside the Earth. I think they all do, maybe, possibly, live inside the Earth, right? Oh, now, see, I talked about this. It says um, there are uh, orb Beings have been visiting tens of thousands of people in the form of blue indigo balls of light. Okay. Well, that might be what I saw in my yard. And I talked about that on the show before. Oh, that's just freaky. <laughs> Maybe they were the ones that live inside the earth and they came to talk to me or at least to show me that they're there. Right. Cause they're of, they're of peace. So, this stuff is really strange, right? So, now the blue avians, they look like human beings, but with bird heads, and they're blue. Now, what's really weird is David Wilcock just opened up a whole nother discussion on this, going, well, when the Egyptians finally uncovered years of suit, black suit, soot off of some artwork from ancient Egypt. There are bird-headed beings. Osiris himself is depicted as having a blue bird head. So the mysteries get deeper. (laughs) I'm only pointing this stuff out tonight. I I don't have answers for you guys about this stuff, what it means, but I just want to bring it up so we could think about it, you know, um, you know, Corey good stuff in, um, sphere of being Alliance. It's stuff is interesting. He knows that we're not alone. He's waiting for disclosure to happen. Like all of the UFO ET uh, people, right? In the meantime, (laughs) the ET races are contacting a lot of us via telepathy so that we could, you know, I I channel the Lyrans, which are people with, they're, they're um, humanoids with the appearance of cat heads, no tails, <laughs> you know, and the Pleiadians and the um, Andromedans and the Arcturians, and they're from different dimensions, and some of them are from the fifth dimension, and they they are all very concerned about the atomic-related stuff because it does reverberate throughout the whole universe it's not just in that one little section of our planet that gets affected everybody and we're all connected we're all one so now on Gaia.com they have an article Hollow Earth Theory is the subterranean civilization of Agartha real (laughs) They said up until recent times many people were convinced that our planet was just a hollow shell with the civilization of earthly ancients residing underground. Jules Verne of course wrote the voyage extraordinaire journey to the center of the earth around the time that the belief in a subterranean society peaked. But before Verne the hollow earth concept was originally proposed by the 17th century Edmund Haley, H A L L E Y. He's the one that discovered Haley's comet and that comes around every 75 years or so. So he believed that the Earth was several concentric shells separated by individual atmospheres and the outermost layer having a thickness of 500 miles. He believed that natural phenomena like the aurora borealis and magnetic field variances were products of the multiple layers, which he believes move independently of each other. So a hundred years later, his theory was expounded upon by John Cleves Sims, S Y M M E S who published a paper detailing his intent to travel to the earth's interior. And he tried to devote the rest of his life, or try tried to gain support the rest of his life to uh, make a hollow earth expedition. But he fell sick and he died before he could get to the journey. So the first Arctic exploration and trip to Antarctica happened in 1838 because of his um, arduousness in, in the matter. So according to an alleged diary entry written by Admiral Byrd during his polar flight, he said that when he flew over the North Pole, he came across a warm, lush climate with mammoth-like creatures and an ancient human race that had been residing within the earth. His plane was commandeered in the middle of the air and was made to land for him by the people of the center of the earth they intercepted his plane with saucer shaped aircraft he was met by emissaries and they were um, assumed to be part of the mythical Agartha and they expressed their concerns about obviously the use of the bombs right so I don't know. I don't know. I'm just bringing this stuff up because I want you guys to think about it if you want to research it more. There are uh, drawings written. You know, the Nazis spent a lot of resources looking for Agartha as well. They were hoping Hitler could escape (laughs) by going there. Uh, That's like a terrifying thought. Um... This has been th- thought about a lot. Now, there is in Tibetan Buddhism a secret mystical city called Shambhala that's buried deep in the Himalaya Mountains inside the earth. I don't know, guys. I just wanted to bring this up. I, I just, this is such a fascinating topic. And if you have never heard of it before, I know it's going to blow your mind. But, um,. Hindu and Celtic lore, some people believe they share an ancient connection through a lost antediluvian city, through caves and underground entrances to subterrestrial worlds. Aryavarta, the abode of the Excellent Ones, which is the Hindu name Aryavarta, is a land ruled by a supernal race thousands of years before the Great War laid out in Mahabharata. And there's uh, people from the lineages of Atlantis and Lemuria and Mu might have been driven underground to Agartha because of war and cataclysmic events. In the Hindu scriptures, they talk about Patala, the seventh layer of the underworld. Think about that—the underworld. And then there's the story about Persephone and her journey to the underworld to live for six months of the year with Hades, the god the god of the underworld, on Maybone, and in wintertime. She would be there, but then in the spring she came back because she ate the pomegranate seeds. But her mother made a case for her to live half of the time above the surface so that there could be spring and won't be winter all the time because she was such a bright light of spring, goddess of spring, Persephone. So there's a lot of strange myths and stories and legends, but also now the evidence is growing that this there's something to it what I don't really know but I would like to believe there's something down there I want to live where I live you know on the surface greeting the Sun every day there have been theories throughout the centuries of us maybe having maybe we do live in the center of the earth and we don't know it how do we know if there's a Sun it seems like you know I think we don't I think we live on the surface but who knows Anyway, I know this is a lot of crazy stuff to think about. It's fun. It's a fun and interesting mystery for my mystery Thursday. (laughs) I wanted to have a mysterious Thursday, so this is it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show and the speculations of these, whether it's real or not. Um, The Nagas, half reptilian, half human species, are said to live under there, by the way. Crazy, crazy stuff. Anyway, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> probably brought up more questions than answers, but that's how it goes sometimes. I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening to the show and promoting it among your Facebook groups and liking, subscribing and everything else and sending your Santa Claus and Christmas stories. And especially your ghost stories for metaphysical ghost speak. I already have a lot of stories lined up for you. Michelle (laughs) might've single handedly rescued the show with all of her stories. I've got a lot of my own stories, but I'd like to still hear your stories. If I hear enough of them, I might have a couple episodes. So please send in your ghost stories for metaphysical ghost speak. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. I am feeling much better now at the end of the show than in the beginning. Thank you God. Whatever it was, I think it was the ascension flu that brother Hayes spoke of last night. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that for now. Signing off guys with peace and joy and the high vibes of the holy fifth dimension. Until next time. Peace. Do you ever wish you could look into the next chapter in your book of life and see what's coming next what does the universe have in store for you I can help you with that I will give you a Celtic cross reading which is ten cards or you can ask me three questions and I use three cards per question so that's nine cards or I can channel your higher guidance or maybe God directly for you. Maybe you want to talk to your dear departed aunt Edna because maybe you have a few questions and she was the smartest person you knew. If your deceased relatives are available or your ascended masters I can channel them for you personally let me have one hour to show you the future in your next chapter of your book of life readings are $75 and it takes me an hour to an hour and a half to complete And for this price, you will also be hooked up to the healing grid around the planet for free, which means yours truly, me, I will be giving you Reiki 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. All you have to do is let me know. Metaphysical at gmail.com and we will explore your future together.